Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. and the Green family right here in Oklahoma who have made a vow that before their demise they're going to give away all of their fortune, all of their wealth. Whether it's simple or extraordinary, there's something about that generous act of love and of self that touches our hearts. Read about Father Damon who years and years ago went to Hawaii to the leper colony on Molokai. And there he preached Jesus to those lepers until he himself became a leper and died. And the people there that he had touched wanted something to remain, for they took his body to be buried elsewhere. And so they cut off one of his hands so that it would be buried on that island. It would remind them of how he touched and healed their wounds. And someone said they were desynthesized to pain, but they were not desynthesized to the touch of love. Or when we read about Mother Teresa giving her life for the poor in India. And she said, if you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. Or maybe the story I heard of a beautiful young American missionary that was working in a leper colony overseas. Beautiful, talented, gifted, spending her life bandaging them, washing their wounds, touching them with Jesus' love. And a millionaire from, Oka, from uh, uh, the United States went over to view what was happening. And as he watched this beautiful, talented young missionary pouring out herself on these leprous people, it literally made him sick. And he came to her and said, I've seen what you've done, and I wouldn't do what you're doing for a million dollars, and I have it. And she looked at him and said, no, sir, and neither would I. But I would do it for the love of Jesus. The one that touches my heart happened at school. One year we decided at Southwestern we'd raise funds for some DHS foster children. We gathered all of their requests, their needs. What do you need for Christmas? And they wrote things like you wouldn't believe the things we take for granted. A shirt, a pair of pants, a pair of socks, some underwear. And then we asked them, what do you really want? And one young lady that was 18 years old, ready to graduate, she said, I want a softball bat. I may get a scholarship. Well, I had no idea how much softball bats cost, over $200. The kids raised the fund, but she put, what do you want? And she said, above everything, I would like a diamond cross necklace. And one of our young ladies came into my office and said, how's it going? I said, good. She said, did we raise the money? I said, for the softball bat. And she said, well, did we raise the money for the necklace? And I said, not yet. And she simply reached up and unclasped from around her neck a diamond cross necklace. I don't know who gave it to her. I don't know what the sentimental value was. I don't know what the actual value was. I just know that in that act of generosity, she took what she had and gave it to a girl that she'd never met. Or maybe it's my forever 19-year-old friend, Raven, who died tragically in a car wreck just a couple of years ago. But unbeknownst even to her family at first, when she received her driver's license, she had checked that box that says organ donor. And today, 
Raven's heart lives and beats on a 61-year-old lady by the name of Linda, grandmother with five kids, that's living out life through one generous gift of love. We value, we admire generosity. There's something about it that touches us deeply, emotionally, moves us to tears. It touches spiritually. It, it, it touches a responsive chord. We admire it. We even try to emulate it. We value it. And so I have lots of scriptures listed for you about generosity. Uh, quickly in Acts chapter 20, Paul says it's more blessed to give than to receive because the Lord made that statement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he's constantly talking about those poor Corinthian believers who did everything in their power to raise funds to relieve the suffering and the pain of the saints in Jerusalem. And he says a lot of things about them. He says one thing is that before they gave their substance, extraordinarily they first gave their self to the Lord. And then he talks about that he that sows sparingly reaps sparingly and he that sows bountifully reaps bountifully. And then he says, if there is first a willing mind, it is accounted to a man not what he doesn't have, but according to what he has. And he goes on to talk about generosity and giving and sowing and reaping. He says, the reason is that right now through your giving, their needs met. Later on, out of your need, they will take their abundance and give to you and your need will be met. And in all these things, praise and glory will be given to God as they see the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out through your life. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, Paul puts it like this. He says, therefore by him, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, even the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We value and admire generosity. But in order to really understand it, we need to define it. We need to understand what generosity is. And so let's talk about what is generosity. What is generosity? Let's define it. Well, Webster says it is to be liberal in giving or sharing. It is to be unselfish. It is to be magnanimous. It is to be free from pettiness and meanness. It is taking what you have, what has been entrusted you, and liberally sharing that with somebody else. That is a generous act. It is to be totally unselfish, to be free from pettiness in order to share with someone else. But to define it, we need to go to the New Testament. And there the word literally comes from the Greek word charis, which is grace. So that out of grace received, there, throw, there flows gratitude for that grace, which produces within us a heart of generosity. In the New Testament, the words are liberality, bountifully. And those words literally mean fatness. In fact, when Paul said, he that sows sparingly reaps sparingly, but he that sows bountifully, he used the word that means blessing. So he literally said, he that sows with blessings shall also reap blessings back. That's what generosity is. It means an abundance of grace. Something done above the ordinary. It means an overflowing. It means to yield or produce a harvest of fruit. It means to bestow graciously. It is to show favor or kindness. It is to give out of what you have to bless others and to bless the kingdom of God. Whether it's time, 
talent or your treasure. But to understand it, we need to understand that God owns everything. And that God is the author of every good and perfect gift that cometh down from the Father above. The Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So that everything that we are and everything that we have, He gave us. He is the owner. And we are simply the managers. The New Testament uses the word steward. You need to study that word. It comes from an old English word, sty word, which means keeper the pigsty. And the keeper of the pigsty did such a good job that later they changed that word from styward to Stuart. And there was a whole group of kings of England by the name of Stuarts. They took that title so that they could serve the public the right way. And so what it's saying is that everything that you are and everything you have, God's given you. You are simply the steward or the keeper or the manager of what God has entrusted you with so that generosity is when the owner wants it, you give it up. You share it. Out of the abundance of what the owner has given to you, you share with others. So we value generosity because we understand it. We define it. But why do we value it? Well, generosity is demonstrated. And to see that, we go all the way back to the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And you know the story how man had disobeyed God and fallen into sin and is separated from God, hiding in the brush of the garden, trying to cover the nakedness of a disobedience with, with futile fig leaves and aprons that he made with his own hands. And God shows up. And we talk about judgment, but there's more in that passage of Scripture than judgment. There's generosity. There's grace. There's favor and kindness. For instead of immediate death, God allowed Adam and Eve to live a life so that in living the life, he could shower them with his promises and with his grace and with his generosity and with his provisions. He covered their nakedness with the skins of animals. He gave them tasks to perform. But most of all, out of the generosity and the grace of his heart, he gives them a promise. And he says, one day there will come the seed of woman. And the seed of woman will bruise the head of the serpent. And the seed of woman will bring salvation and deliverance from this sin. And the grace and the mercy and the generosity of God will be able to be poured out upon you. And we see it in the Old Testament. God loved his people Israel. And he was generous and gracious with them. He gives them a land that they didn't buy. He gives them a land that they didn't own. He gives them a land that literally flows with the abundance of God. It flows with milk and with honey. They never planted. They didn't water. They didn't nurture. But God gave it to them. And that builds within them a heart of generosity so that they begin to be generous with others. They are the recipients of God's grace. And out of that grace there flows gratitude that turns into generosity so they wouldn't charge their brothers interest or usury. And when they harvested their crops, they wouldn't go straight into the corner. They would make a, a, a circle so that there were grain and crops left in every corner of the field. And the Lord said that is for the poor and the destitute and the needy. And as they harvested their crops, they would drop hands full on purpose where the poor could pick it up and have food to eat. They became generous. You see that? Constantly as they lavishly celebrated God in their feast and they would praise God and bring their thanks offerings to God. And when they built the tabernacle, 
they were so generous out of their gratitude to what God had done for them that Moses had to stop them from giving. They brought so much that Moses said, enough, we don't have room for anything else. Because they had experienced the generosity of God, the grace of God, and out of that flowed gratitude and generosity. But when you get to the New Testament is when you really see it. For there the Bible said, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, the greatest lover, gives the greatest gift of His Son so that He can lavish God's grace and mercy and forgiveness upon you. You're the recipient of God's grace and favor. Oh, and Jesus followed in His Father's footsteps. For in Ephesians, the Bible says, and Jesus loved the church. And because He loved the church, He gave Himself up for it that He might sanctify it through the washing of the water by, uh, water by the Word because you can give without loving. But you can never love without giving. And that generosity flows out of the fact that you are the recipient of God's grace and God's love. And gratitude builds into your heart where you want to demonstrate that and you do it by becoming generous. Two examples in the New Testament. Remember, Jesus sitting outside the church watching people throw money in the offering plate. And all the rich folk came by and out of their abundance they're throwing money in the offering plate. But here comes a little lady who is a widow. And she reaches in her pocket and pulls out what the New Testament calls two mites, which is less than a penny. And she throws it in the offering plate. And Jesus is astounded. And he says, I want you to know she has given more than them all. Lord, haven't you seen the magnanimous gifts they've given? The abundance of what they put in the He said, no, she's given more than they all. Because they gave out of their abundance. But she gave out of her need. She gave everything she had to live on. The generosity that flows out of your gratitude for God. And the other story is Zacchaeus. I remember him because in Booster Band, we used to sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Some of you remember that. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that when he climbed up in a sycamore, you know. Well, he was little of stature. But not only was he little of stature, but he was little in heart. Do you remember? He's a crook. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor to his own people. He collects tax, tax for the Romans who are occupying Israel. And the way he makes his living is overtaxing his own people so he can put the remainder in his pocket. And Jesus calls him down from the tree and into the house. And I don't know what the conversation was because it's not recorded. I just know the result of the conversation. And when he comes outside, he's totally transformed. And he said, Lord, I tell you what, I am going to take half of what I have, not 10%, 50%, and give it to the poor. And if I've taken anything wrongly, I will restore it 80% fourfold. And Jesus said, wow, salvation has come to this house today. Not because of what he did, but because of what God had done for him through Jesus Christ. And out of the grace that he had received, he is now transformed. He's transformed and delivered not only from his sins, but from stinginess, from pettiness, so that he becomes generous because you see most of us have a tendency to hold on to I mean you see it even in children children have to be taught to share immediately it's mine 
That toy's mine. You can't have it. It's mine. And that same attitude carries over into us. And it's when we experience the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ that we're not only transformed and made new creations in Christ Jesus, but we're transformed from pettiness and selfishness to where we become people of generosity. We are transformed and delivered from the power of sin. We, we, we are delivered from the hold of the now and the temporal and the material and society's standards of wealth and riches and success. Money no longer dominates us. We're transformed to people of generosity. And we see that. We know what it is. We defined it. And we see it demonstrated. But then we have to learn about generosity by seeing it developed. We have to answer the question, what do I have to give? Well, some say time, talent, treasures. I like to say it like this. There, there are four things you have to give. First is self. Paul said about those poor Corinthians. He said before they ever took an offering, before they ever started gathering for the poor saints in Jerusalem, they did an extraordinary act of generosity. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Paul says that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your just spiritual worship. He put it like this. He said, in light of who Jesus is, and in light of what He's done for you through His grace, there is only one acceptable act of worship that you can do, and that is to present yourself, to give you your everyday life, you're walking around the mall life. You're going to school life. You're living in the house life. You're to take your everyday walking around life and give it totally to God. All that you are, all that you have, all that you will be, all that you want to be, not my will but thine be done. I give myself away. That's the first thing you have to give. Well, the second thing is what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 13 is that you have something else to give and that sound he said therefore since you know Jesus since you've experienced his grace since you're the recipient of salvation and the transforming power of God therefore by him let us offer up the sacrifice of praise continually even the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name and so the second thing that we give is a lavish generous worship to him not whether we feel like it but because he's worthy of it for what he did for us and what he is doing for us and what he shall do for us. The Bible says to give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oops. Lord, you need to change. Now, he didn't say give thanks for all things. Some things you can't give thanks for. But he said you can give thanks in all things. Why? Because nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can divide you. And nothing can defeat you for we're more than conquerors in all these things. And nothing can dominate you because it's not over yet. God is at work in all things for your good and for His glory. And so we learn to give up this lavish sacrifice of praise. Remember in the Old Testament, they'd take a, a, a coal off the brazen altar in the outer court of the tabernacle and they'd go in the holy place and light the incense of praise. 
Well, that's what happens in our heart. He's taken the sacrificial offering of Jesus and touched your life and cleansed you from your sins. And what that ignites is a sound, a lavish, generous praise and glory to God for all that He's done for you. So we're to offer up the sacrifice of ourselves. We're to be generous. That's what you have to give. And then you have the generosity of sound. And thirdly, you have the generosity of service. Because what Paul said was not only do we offer the sacrifice of praise, but to do good, which means to serve. You see, a servant is not above his master. A servant is as his master. And if he came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life for others, then we're like him. We are to give ourselves up in service to others. Jesus stripped himself and washed the disciples' feet and said, I've left you example that you should serve one another. So we do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. We bear one another's burdens. We thus fulfill the law of Christ. Greater love than this has no man, but we lay down our life for our friends. We learn to serve others. If they ask, we give. When we throw a feast, we don't call those who can reciprocate. What thank do you have? If you do that, no, we call those that can never reciprocate and give back. Because we have something to give. And what we have to give is our service to others. Someone put it like this. If you wait until you can do everything for everybody, instead of something from somebody, you'll end up not doing anything for anybody. And one man put it like this. An individual has not started living until he can arise above the narrow confines of his own individual concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. You know who said that? Martin Luther King Jr. And we know the sacrifice he gave. And so what the Bible says is we not only value it because we define it, we see it demonstrated, but we know what we have to give. We know we can give ourself, we can give our sound, we can give our service, and we can give our substance. Because he said, not only to do good, but to communicate. Forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Those are well pleasing to God. And to communicate means that you share your substance, your treasures. You're a steward. What you have, God has given you. And it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. And the Bible says that you are share to those that minister the word. You are to give. For Jesus said, Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure you meet, it will be measured to you again. And Paul put it like this, If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you plant a few seeds, you reap a little crop. But if you plant bountifully, then out of that bountiful, generous planting, you will receive bountifully as well. So, how do we give this substance? Well, there's several ways you give. First of all, you give systematically, regularly. In fact, Paul goes into that scripture that I quoted in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and he says, if you will lay in store and get ready to give, then you will not be under pressure when it comes time to give and nobody can move upon you with sob stories and twist your arm and force you because you're giving out of a ready mind. And so the first way that we give is systematically or on a regular basis, which means we start with the baseline or the bottom line, which is our tithe. 
No, we don't have time to go in the next hour and a half for me to prove to you that the New Testament does not destroy the concept of tithing. There's only one scripture I need to quote when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, these things you ought to have done. And he's talking about tithing. And not to left the other undone, which are the weighty matters of the law like love and justice and mercy. So tithing is the baseline. Don't look at me. It's amazing our concept. We go into a restaurant and now they print on the receipt a tip 15% equals of your bill. 18% equals. 20% equals. And we get all upset at 10%. Amen. Okay. That didn't go over real well. but And so what we learn to do is to systematically give out of our tithe and offering. And then secondly, we learn to give intelligently, not emotionally. We, we find out where good seed is and we plant our seed in good ground. And we understand intelligently who we're giving to. Do you understand that most people don't? They watch World Vision on television. And all those superstar announcers talking about these poor little kids. And most of you have never stopped to read about how much of the money goes to the kids. And how much goes to administration. Where about 90% goes to administration and salaries and houses. And only about 10% of the money ever gets to the child. When all, all the time, right in our own church, we have a program called People to People where you can give $20, $25 a month to support a child that gives them education and food and shelter. And 80 plus percent of what you give goes directly to that child. My wife and I have been doing that for almost 30 years. And I know where it's going because I get letters from my kids I started one girl when she was seven years old until she graduated from high school. And I couldn't do every, I can't do for every child, but I can do for one child. And so can you. And you give not only systematically, but you give intelligently so you know your money is accomplishing its purpose. And you give cheerfully, for God loves a hilarious giver. And you give generously. And then, fourthly, you give sacrificially. Now wait, before I get here, I want to tell you that most of what we consider sacrifice is not. So I go to 7-Eleven, and I can get a big gulp for 79 cents plus tax, which is 86 cents. And I buy about one of these every day, because it's sweet tea and it's good. But wait. 86 cents times 30 is $25.80. $25 a month will support one child through people to people and give them food and education. It's not a sacrifice for me to give up one big gulp a day what I'm talking about is when there is a need so great that you gather your family together and you sit down and you begin to talk about it. And you understand that the cause is so great, the need is so prevalent, that you're willing to make a sacrifice. Give up a vacation. Give up the new HDTV. Give up the Wii to take that money and to make a difference.
Tony Campolo told it best. He, he uh, was raising money for poor children, orphans in Haiti. One year he brought his family together and he said, what we've decided to do is that all this year, we're going to take the money that we would have spent on your Christmas presents and we're going to take it and give it to the children in Haiti. And he was able to take his son and daughter on his trip to Haiti that Christmas. And when they get there and the, 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 the airplane lands, all the little orphans that they had, they had rescued from the slums of Haiti and cleaned up and, and fed and taught, and they're on their little uniforms and they meet them at the airport. And they've got signs welcoming them to Haiti. And they hold on to them and hug them. And they've got little songs that they've composed to sing for them. And they take them to the school and show them what they're learning and, te and teaching the scriptures and quoting the scriptures. And they spend the whole day. And they take them back to the airport and they sing goodbye. And Tony said, on the way we're riding along and I'm thinking, how are my kids reacting to giving up their Christmas for this? None of them said anything. And finally, his teenage son from the back seat said, Dad, I just want you to know one thing. There is no gift that you could have bought with that money that would mean as much to me as this moment in my life. And so we give sacrificially so that the need will be met and others will be taken care of. But there's one other thing about generosity. Not just defined and demonstrated and delivered of what you can give. But there's another question. You see, generosity doesn't mean anything until it's deployed. Until you make a decision personally to give and to be generous. And that question is, what if you give all? Give 
my child, a gift like that could change the world, could feed a multitude. He didn't close his eyes or turn away. I can see him standing tall. He saw the need and I can hear him say, what if I Long ago, a father and a son Saw the children lost in sin Can you see the tears in father's eyes As Jesus says to him What if I give all that I have? What will that My son, that gift will change the world It will free the multitude So what if I give all I have? What will that gift do? My child, a gift like that can change definition of generosity you can see it demonstrate it and admire it and it moves you you can even understand it to the point that you know what you have to give yourself your sound your service your substance but none of it works until you deploy it until you make a personal decision to give and so I want to close by giving you two practical applications of what I'm talking about. And the first one is this. I, uh, Pastor asked you to pick this up and read it. It's the church's annual report. And I don't know if you read it or not. But there's approximately 108 number of giving units in this church. And out of that, 61 of them gave less than $1,000 last year. That's 56%. What does it mean to give all? It means you start by giving right here where you receive your spiritual food, where you're nurtured, and where this church reaches out to touch this community and so many outreaches. And you start with your tithing. That's the baseline. And you give. Now, I know, I know some of your college students, I've been there, done that. After service, I'll talk to you about my wife and I's experience, and I know you struggle. But that's not true of most of us. We have to learn to give. 
And this is after. Uh, let me tell you a quick story and I'll close. It's, it's like uh, I, years ago when we were living in West Oklahoma, we had a, a guy got set, gloriously transformed by the grace of God in Lokiba. And he sold equipment. And the week after he got saved, he made 500 bucks. Now, this is back in the 70s. And he was so happy, he came to church and he said, Pastor, I made $500 and I put $50 in the offering this morning. The next week he made $1,000. And he put $100 and he said, Pastor, the Lord's blessed me. I put $100 in the offering. The next week he made $3,000. And Pastor, did you make $3,000? He said, yeah. He said, how much did you put in the offering? He said, uh, $50. And the Pastor said, why? And he said, yeah, $300 is too much to give. And the pastor looked at him and smiled and said, fine, I'll just pray for you this week that you'll make $500 and that way 50 won't be too much to give. You start with your own personal giving. And secondly, the practical way is if we reach this next generation, we have to reach them from the time they're born till they're 12 years old. We have to have a powerfully anointed children's church. And we do. Andrew and his staff are doing a magnificent job, but you know we're out of room. And so this Easter, we're going to take my seed offering and raise $75,000 and expand the children's church ministry so that we can reach this generation. What if you give all? What if you give sacrificially? What would that gift do? That gift would change the world. It would feed the multitude. But above everything else, before you give your substance, you need to give yourself. If you've never experienced the gracious love, the favor, the kindness, the forgiveness that God's provided for you through Jesus Christ, this morning is the time that you can give yourself and receive the favor of His grace. Father, I thank You this morning for your generous love and mercy and forgiveness through your Son, our Savior. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has not experienced that lavish, liberal, generous offering of life and abundant life, that they would receive it this morning. So they can be transformed into a new creation by Christ Jesus. Help them simply to acknowledge their sins, to believe in their heart that you died and were resurrected in the newness of life, and to confess you with their mouth for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Help them to give themselves to you. And out of that grace they've received, make us all generous. Help us to give lavish praise, give service to others, give of our substance, even sacrificially to minister to this generation. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Daddy. Would you give my dad a hand this morning for bringing the word? It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.